Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. <laughs> Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Time has already flown, so we're going to hastily approach this this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, if you found that, turn with me to the 17th verse. And then stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word as we read through a few verses here and try to get in what we can this morning before time eludes us. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 and it reads like this, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, this morning we have praised you through our singing. We have praised you through our giving. We have praised you through our children's time. We have praised you through the special music this morning. Because of all those things, Father, I ask you open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon those who participated in that. And now, Father, we turn our attention to the truth. The truth of your Son, Jesus, who is the Word. And He is the Word that we hold in our hands, this Bible, that we believe is infallible and inerrant. As is inspired by you and, and given to men to write through your Holy Spirit. Every word is true. No matter how difficult to understand... They are true. This morning, enlighten our hearts with that truth that we may be different than we were when we came in. Make very little of me, very much of you, that you may be glorified this morning. This we pray in the name of your precious Son and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. If you were with us the uh, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this Gentile walk in relation to what he said back in Ephesians 1 when he says, walk worthy of your calling. Now he has stepped into what is the walk that you had before the calling, and we're going to move next week into what should your new walk look like. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some points that he has given us about this Gentile walk. See, because he's given us a couple of characteristics of how the Gentiles walk. We should look at these characteristics in light of how we live our lives. The first of those characteristics, if you remember, was pointless thinking. Pointless thinking is, is that thinking that comes from our own minds. It is a, is a thought process whenever we try to apply what's in our heads to the world instead of looking at the world through the eyes of the Bible. See, it comes when, it, as the Bible says, we lean on our own understanding. It happens when we look to our own truth instead of the truth of God's Word. And in verse 17, he pointed out that to do that is futility of the mind. In other words, to lean on your own mind without the truth of God's Word is futile. And that was the first point, is those pointless thinking. The second point that he brought to our attention was that pointless thinking led those of us who walk that way, which are all of us before we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but that Gentile walk, that pointless thinking, led to a prideful theology. 
See, leaning on your own understanding starts sooner or later to make you believe that you have it all under control. And what happens is you move away from the theology of what God says our relationship with him is, and we start leaning on our own understanding, and we have this prideful theology that, that comes to us when we discard the truth of God's word. We go from leaning on our own understanding to basically our own understanding now leaning upon us. See, we lean on our own understanding long enough, and sooner or later that understanding puts the pressure upon us to do that which we have thought is best. Paul mentions that in, in verse 18. In verse 18 there, whenever he says, we have our own understanding darkened, we're alienated from God, and it's because of ignorance. Ignorance that comes from a blindness of our heart. See, leaning on our own understanding and having that understanding leaning on us and prideful theology leads us to a darkened heart and ignorance of what God would have us do. The reason being is because we're separated. It says we are alienated from God. Now with those two thoughts under our belt over the last couple of weeks, the pointless thinking which led to prideful theology, that now gives way to a passive heart. I hope you're seeing a progression in these things. The passive heart is mentioned in verse 19. It says, who being past feeling. <laughs> See, there comes a point in the Gentile walk that the heart no longer feels conviction. And it becomes basically morally passive. Boy, that speaks to our world today, doesn't it? No longer feels conviction, but is morally passive. The things that, we, that once caused us to step back and take pause of, they no longer even make us think twice. You know what we used to try to hide from the world so that the world wouldn't know we were involved in? It's now right out in the open. And it's without remorse. That comes from a passive heart. A passive heart. Romans, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 Verse 28 says this, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, notice this thought of the mind again. He's saying here they didn't have it in their mind, which is where we began this walk with that pointless thinking. He says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Remember what we were just talking about, this, this blinded heart, this prideful theology, being given over to this debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And here are those things. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It says knowing the judgment of God. See, you can tell me all you want that people don't know that there is a God. The Bible says different. The Bible says a person who has never opened the book understands there is a God by looking at that which he has created. We are each born inherent within us knowing there is a right and a wrong. 
We all know within us somehow through God's divine sovereignty that there is a right thing to do and there is a wrong thing to do. And it says here that they knew, they know there in verse 32, the righteous judgment of God. See, they're aware that there is a penalty of sin and it is death. They are also aware that that judgment is righteous. In other words, justified. That God, by placing judgment on them for sin, is not doing the wrong thing, but is doing the right thing. They understand that. But look at verse 32 at the end, what it says. It says there at the end, not only do the same thing. In other words, knowing that God is going to judge those list of things, which is pretty all-encompassing, you would have to admit, they do those things. But as if that's not bad enough, they also approve of others to do it. Why? Because their heart has become passive. They no longer are even taken aback when a person decides that they want to be a backbiter. They join in. They no longer, when a person comes to them to whisper about a brother or sister in Christ, they no longer walk away. They stay and listen. A person that becomes full of envy and, and others join in to be envious of it. A person becomes malicious and we just say it's his upbringing and we give him an excuse. A person decides they want to be sexually immoral and we say, you know, it is a different world today. Did you hear me? A person wants to be sexually immoral and we look and say it's a different time. The same God who wrote this book thousands of years ago and said it was improper to be sexually immoral today still says the same thing. Nothing has changed but us. We have become passive of heart. We have decided that this world needs to go a different direction. And that list of things, there's, there's not a, a thing in the list that each of us have not seen. The difference between our reaction and the reaction of the Gentiles who walk like Gentiles is the Gentile says, you know what? I give them a pass. We as Christians should never give them a pass. Should never give them a pass. See, we should never accept, as the Gentiles did, this behavior as the new norm. Centered thinking is to become prideful and blinded of that which God tells us we should and should not do. Once we are blinded, we have a set of passive morals that becomes all-inclusive to everything that is going on. If there's one thing that can be said about our country today, is that we've become passive morally. And we're all-inclusive to everyone and everything. You see, the reason our country is headed in the direction it's headed is because we want to include everybody. See, we're so afraid to hurt someone's feelings that now we've swung from the pendulum being where we stand on the truth of God's word to at some point in time we said, you know what, there is some grace to be given on things that are happening. Give a person time. And now we've swung from the time that we're giving them to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now we've swung completely to the opposite end of the pendulum when we say, who is us to judge what they're doing? What we've done is we've gone from the truth of God's word to passive moral hearts where we no longer stand on that truth. 
We've given up on the truth to make sure everyone feels welcome and it is included in everything. You know the unfortunate part of that? So is the church. So has the church. I was just looking at the website of a church here recently. On the front page of their website, it gives what who they are in a nutshell in about five or six or seven lines. It says that they are a loving church, and I would agree that all churches should be loving. It says that they take the Word of God and they understand it to mean that women can be preachers and deacons and those sorts of things, and I would take a, a stance against that because the Word of God doesn't say that. It's not because a woman's any less. It's because that's not the position given. It just doesn't make a person less. We all have positions. Many of you are not called to be a pastor. It doesn't make you less. Many of you are not called to be Sunday school teachers. It doesn't make you less. But right on the front page, that's what they said. From there, they moved to say that they are, in capital letters, inclusive of all people. Of all people. You don't have to read between the lines to understand what they meant by that. Because if you click a little further, you will see that they support the LGBT community. I love those folks. I love those folks that, that that is their choice in life. But I hate their sin. You know why I hate their sin? Because God hates their sin. When God says it's wrong, it's wrong. There's, there's no way around it. And to let that be your statement to the world that we're a loving church and yes, women can do anything they want to do in the church because we want to keep them happy and then anybody that lives any lifestyle is welcome to come. That to be your message instead of your message being that you're lost, dying, and going to hell without Jesus Christ. When the message on your webpage is all about the world and not about Jesus, you're not a church at all. What has happened to our churches? We're so worried about hurting a person's feeling by preaching that there is a hell. And we don't want to make them uncomfortable, so we don't preach there's a hell because we want you to be comfortable. The preacher no longer stands and says there's a judgment from God. Why? Because we want you to see him as loving. We no longer stand in the pulpits and preach that there is accountability. There is accountability for how you walk the Christian walk. We, we do it, and we even use the Bible to support that. No, there's no accountability because the Bible says we're not to judge. No, the Bible says I'm not to judge that you go to heaven or hell, but I am to judge your walk. If I can't walk up to you and tell you you're living like a sinner, and if you're proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, you're doing an injustice to him. If I can't do that without hurting your feelings, if I have to hurt your feelings to make you change, I'll hurt your feelings. You don't have to like me. It doesn't make a bit of difference in the world if you like me at all, because you're going to spend eternity with me if you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And see, our churches have got to the point that a pastor will not stand in a pulpit and preach the truth because the attendance goes down. I don't care if it winds up being me and one other person in the building. I'm going to preach what the Bible says. It makes no difference to me if we grow to be a thousand or if we back up and we become 20. I will not compromise what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says He is a loving God, but He will judge your sin. He says that there will be a day you will not only be accountable for what you've done since that day that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which is your walk, but those who have never accepted will be accountable for the unacceptance of Jesus Christ. They will stand before the one who died upon the cross and he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. Your home is hell. If that makes you uncomfortable, there's probably a reason why that makes you uncomfortable. It's because you dread the day you face my Savior. See, I don't dread the day I face my Savior. 
Because I expect, I know that I will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Will there be things I will answer for? Absolutely. Because there will be times that he has asked me to do something within his will that I have chosen not to. That's sin. And I have come to the altar and I have fallen upon my face and asked the Holy God to forgive me, trusting in the fact that he tells me in his word in 1 John 1, 9, that if I will ask for that forgiveness as one of his children, he is faithful and just to forgive me of those sins. So when I face him, if I have done that each time I have sinned, there will be nothing to judge because it will already be forgiven. But I know there will come that day that I will look him in the eye. And the words that I desire to hear, and I hold firm to the fact I will, is good done, a good job, well done, my good and faithful servant. Unfortunately, our churches in mass have not made the end of time something to be scared of. Yet I think it should be. Not only as Christians should we be concerned because we will face the one who died in answer, but for those who have never accepted Jesus, we need to tell them out of love that their destiny is a place called hell. And there is only one way to avoid the place called hell, and it is Jesus Christ. It is not through a statue. It is not through loving everyone. It's not sitting with your legs crossed and your fingers twisted. It's not all these other things. There is one way, and it is a risen, living person who was God, and his name is Jesus. You see, we have become, even as a church, at times passive in our hearts. We really have. God forgive the church today for its passive heart towards the lost. I pray that God forgives us for looking at the color of a person's skin instead of the condition of their heart. I pray that God forgives us for being so detested by the sins of the world, such as those who are gay or those who are alcoholics or those who are different things, being so detested by them that we can't even share the gospel with them. I pray that God forgives us for that. We need to have a less passive heart and a more broken heart for the lost and for the sinful. See, pointless thinking leads to the prideful theology, which gives way to a passive heart. And the last point, it ends in perverted behavior. Ephesians 4.19 says, Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with (laughs) greediness. Lewdness is an interesting word that is used there. Some of your Bibles use a different word. It means the same thing. Lewdness is best understood as obscene in all reality. The actual Greek word that is used there is as eglia. As eglia is the Greek word that's used there for lewdness. And I tell you that because that word is used often, very often in the New Testament. Almost every time, if not every time that it's used, it's used in conjunction with another word in the sentence that gives it its meaning. For instance, I wrote down oftentimes, I think it's about four times, it's used with the word drunkenness. Three or four times it's used with sexual immorality. A couple of times it's used with deprived. Here, as in other passages, it's used with the term greediness. Greediness. 
I find it kind of interesting that it's used here with that term because what it's really saying is, it's saying their past feelings haven't given themselves over to obscenity in a greedy manner. Huh. When I stop and think about that, I think about just how greedy our world is for the obscene things this day and time. It seems every day there's some new flabbergasting obscene thing that the world is trying to shove down our throats. Whether it is racism that the media trumps way bigger than it really is. To the LGBT community saying that they all have rights to live however they want. To a person who stomps a flag in a school loses his job and the uproar is the kid who took the picture and turned him in should be punished. Don't know if you know that just happened in Fayetteville, North Carolina. A teacher stomped a flag as part of a, a lesson and now is trying to have the student prosecuted for taking his picture doing it. There's a law, last I remember, that says you can't deface the flag or place it on the ground or you spend a year in prison. What's the issue? Why aren't they locked up? Because they're trying to shove that down your throat. Another obscene thing, I as a kid remember going to the flag stand, being allowed to be one of two or three students to unfold the flag in the morning and place it on the flagpole and raise that flag up as the Pledge of Allegiance was said over the intercom at the school. And then being part of the group in the afternoon that took that flag down and placed it away carefully so it didn't spend the night outside. I still remember that as a kid. Where has that gone? Where has that gone? See, the, the passive lewdness of our heart now has turned to perverted, perverted behavior. See, when our thinking is wrong, we start to believe that we have the right to decide what is right and wrong on our own. The problem with that being put 100 people in the room, you have 100 different right and wrongs. There has to be one foundational right and wrong. We have it. It's called the Word of God. You see, the more our prideful thinking takes control of our lives, the less our heart feels the conviction of the sin that's in our lives. Until finally, that which we were ashamed of, ashamed for others to know that was present in our lives, sooner or later it becomes normal in our lives. It becomes that which we do every day and are no longer burdened by it. It is then that our lives become extremely perverted. Over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. What is that walk? That walk is that Gentile walk that he's talking about. That's a list of the things that are associated with the Gentile walk. It says fornication, which is a sexual sin, uncleanness or impurity, which is evil thoughts and intentions. It talks about passion, which is physical desire for the sexual things or the things that please our bodies. It talks about an evil desire, which is that mental desire, that thinking process, that, that we come up with evil thoughts in our mind over. And then it talks about covetousness, which is that that greed word again. It's a desire to gain more at all costs. And it says it winds up being 
idolatry in our life. See, when we follow the other things, when we take the passions of the world, when we look at what the world does and call that the truth, we have an idol in our life, and it's called us. See, if you look at the things that are going on in our world today, it's because each person wants to be their own God. And it leads us to idolatry. The ultimate end to the Gentile walk is a life that's immoral, without remorse and obscene. See, if we continue this Gentile walk long enough, God will harden our hearts and allow us to have our own way. I'll just quickly, since we're out of time, relate the story of Exodus with a character named Pharaoh. We won't turn there. You're welcome to go back to it when you go home this afternoon. But if you remember the story of Pharaoh, he had in his captivity God's people. And they came to him and said, you must let us go. And it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart against them. And they returned and said, please let us go. And his heart again was hardened. And this happened many times until what I think is one of the saddest phrases in the entire Bible was said. And it said, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh for so long had hardened his heart against what was right according to God that God finally said, you want it, you got it. Now your heart is hardened. You know what I believe that means? There was never going to be another opportunity for him to know that God was God. You see, you turned your back on God long enough, he'll let you have what you asked for. That's a scary thought to me. To think that I think that I can choose the time. I can live my life any way I want, and before I die, I'll take Jesus. What makes you think Jesus is going to be there waiting for you? Because if you live long enough in that Gentile walk, your heart won't even hear the call of God. And God will harden your heart. See, God gave him the opportunity and he decided not to choose. So God gave him what he did choose. Pharaoh wanted to be in charge instead of God. God eventually hardened his heart to where he could not even see who God was. He was so blinded by the hardened heart that when he did release them, he immediately chased them down to kill them. And how did that end for Pharaoh? Not real good. See, the progression of the Gentile walk is real plain to see. If you look at it, it is really plain to see. It's awful, very painful to see. Because each of us have been in this walk sometime in our life. I dare say there are those sitting in the room today that are right in the middle of this walk. And it's like this. It starts with the mind, our thinking. Instead of thinking that God is God, we think we know best. It moves from what we think about long enough into an action in our life. That thinking becomes an action where we start making the decisions based on what we desire and act upon it. We act on it long enough and it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. Don't even think about it anymore. It just happens. The habit left unchecked in our life becomes our personality. It becomes how we are identified by that habit. When that personality takes over, it becomes your character. And whatever your character is in your life, it's going to spell out your destiny. It all starts with that thinking process in your life. So I ask you this morning, in closing, what's your destiny?
What is your destiny? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the thinking process in your life leads to your destiny being Christ-likeness and the glorification with God in heaven? Or are there thought processes in your mind that lead you to walk the Gentile walk? You may say, Pastor, that's between me and God. And I would say, yes, it is. But I love you enough not to let you go before God that's going to judge you without you first being challenged to think about that. It doesn't matter if you sit in this church for 100 years. It doesn't matter if you can recite every scripture out of that Bible to me because guess what? Satan recited out of that to Jesus. It doesn't matter to me if you've got every perfect Sunday school attendance record ever been given out. Doesn't matter to me if you sing in the choir. Doesn't matter to me if you stand in this pulpit and preach. If you have a thinking process that does not allow God to be in charge of your life, you're in sin. If you've never given your life to Christ and you have been God of your life, you're not only in sin, but your destiny is a place called hell. You could have given your life to Jesus Christ, yet He not be Lord at this moment because of that thinking process. You will stand before God and answer for that. You see, because our being here is not for us. Your being on this earth, I hate to break the news to you, is not for you to be happy. It is not for you to be glorified. There's only one reason you're on this earth. And that's because a gracious, loving, heavenly Father has given you the opportunity to glorify Him on this earth. And what you have done since you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior is how you glorify Him. I ask you this morning, are you still leaning on your own understanding even in your Christian walk? Because if you are, you will have to answer to a God that is holy and just for that. My first thought is I don't even know how you can say that Jesus is your Savior if He is not Lord over even your thought process. This morning I beg of you, don't leave this place guessing where your destiny is. Because you're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised that I'll ever step out from behind this pulpit alive. You may have to carry my dead body out of here in the next few seconds. But I do know this. When I drop dead to the ground... Don't mourn. Don't mourn. Because I'll be standing at the feet of my Savior. Because my destiny is sewn up in the fact that He is not just my Savior, He is my Lord. And I will be in His presence forever. This morning I hope that is your destiny. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.